on episode 524 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we bring back Dr. William Davis and discuss his book, Super Gut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 524. If you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Alan Meisner. I'm an NSAM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, and fitness nutrition, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA level two online trainer. I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey, all right? Let's go. Hey, Raz, how are things going? Good, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Uh, it's, it's been kind of a, a weird couple of weeks. I don't, um, I don't want to go into it in too much detail because there's still some things I'm working on that I can't really reveal uh, out loud right now because if I don't get it, what I've got to get done done, then it, it, I don't need anybody knowing about it. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, lots going on, good and bad, and just kind of working through some things. But um, you know, otherwise uh, healthy, doing well. You know, the gym's doing okay. The Lulas is doing okay, and good. You know, we're just plotting along. Nice, that's awesome. Good. To How hear. are things for you? Good, burying myself out of the snow, but <laughs> I am excited because I'll be taking a vacation down to Florida very soon. So I just ran um, a half marathon over the weekend in the snow, and next weekend I get to run a little over a half marathon on the beach. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, just, just just watch out for that lip in the sidewalk, okay? Right, I know. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm already nervous about it, but yes, I will definitely be paying attention this time. <laughs> All right. Well, you ready to have a conversation with Dr. Davis? Sure. Our guest today is a renowned preventative cardiologist and the author of the groundbreaking number one New York Times bestseller, Wheat Belly. Three other New York Times bestsellers, Wheat Belly Cookbook, Wheat Belly 30 Minutes or Less Cookbook, and Wheat Belly Total Health, and several other books including Wheat Belly 10-Day Grain Detox and Undoctored. He is a graduate of the St. Louis University School of Medicine with training in internal medicine and cardiovascular disease and advanced training in angioplasty at the Case Western Reserve University Hospitals, where he also served as director of the Cardiovascular Fellowship and assistant professor of medicine. With no further ado, here's Dr. William Davis. Dr. Davis, welcome back to 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you, Alan. Glad to be here again. You know, I it, I didn't even realize it's been almost, it's been over three and a half years uh, since it. we, yeah, since we talked about your book, Undoctored. Uh, that was episode 251. If anyone's interested after listening to this, that they want to go catch another episode with you, uh, it's episode 251. So you can go back and find that there. Um, and then, but we talked about Undoctored and I really liked the book. I like the concepts of it. And, and I've, I've used that in talking to people about how they manage their healthcare and, and help manage themselves. Uh, but today we're going to talk about Supergut, a four-week plan 
to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight. And when I heard super gut, I was thinking about a superhero with a beer gut, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of a goofy name, I know, uh, but I'm, I'm kind of the king of goofy book name, book titles. But, you know, it, it, it's a serious book. I think it's got a lot of fun stuff in it, too, but it's a very serious book that I think really packs. You know, I'm very mindful, Ellen, that it's not just descriptive, telling you how the microbiome's gone wrong and all the nasty things. But I want to make sure that people are given solutions also. So people who read this book will see it's very prescriptive also. It is. It is. And that's what I was. I wanted to get into as we got into this is it's a full week program in the book. And each week kind of has its own purposes. Um, but the whole concept of SIBO and CIFO and all the other stuff that's going on with your microbiome, this is not a, a simple, you know, if then, then this puzzle that we're trying to solve. This is um, a 16 sided Rubik's cube, if you will, uh, of symptoms and things going on. And that's why it's been so difficult for doctors to diagnose this. And most of the times it just gets kind of lumped in with a, Oh, you've got IBS and, you know, uh, it just becomes this like nebulous thing of, well, let's try that or let's try this. And then you have the FODMAPs and then you got that and you got this. And it is just a, for a lot of people, a trial and error. And you kind of line it all up and say, okay, here's some things, here's some tools, here's some approaches to how we can solve this problem. Uh, but you also do a really good job on the front end, in my opinion, of helping us understand why we're experiencing the things we're experiencing because, you know, a lot of us like a lot of us thought, okay, the gut's a gut and the brain's the brain and the liver's the liver. And they, yeah, they, they, I guess sort of kind of need things because the liver going to get, you know, food from the gut and the brain's going to get food from the gut. And so we know there's some relationship there, but it, you know, we, I think we've always kind of simplified it and you brought up some things in the book that just were fascinating because I've talked about SIBO before, but I always just thought, okay, yeah, it's food particles and, and getting into your blood, and but it's it's actually much more toxic than that. It's it's actually of these, you know, basically the bad fungi or bad bacteria we have. They actually get into our bloodstream and cause a whole myriad of things. It's called metabolic extra. Okay, endotoxemia. And it's caused by these lipopolysaccharides, LPS. Can you kind of talk about that whole process? Because it's, I think as soon as we start to understand that having the bad bacteria is a huge problem if it's getting up into our small intestine. And, and then the fact that it's not just little food particles or other things going in, it's bacteria we're eating. It's bacteria that we uh, have coming up through the bottom, uh, the whole thing. Can you just kind of just summarize that for us? You know, a lot of us have suspected this thing called leaky gut for many years, but it finally got validated with good science in 2007 by a French and now Belgian group, Dr. Patrice Canny and his team. They showed that the microbes in the GI tract, when they, you know, there's there's trillions of them, of course, Alan, right? And they live and die in the space of a few hours. They don't live very long. So there's rapid turnover of trillions of microbes. And when they die, a lot of the debris of their little cell bodies enters the bloodstream. And as you point out, that's called endotoxemia because the walls of these microbes have something called endotoxin. 
Endotoxin is extremely toxic to humans. If you inject nanogram quantities, you can kill somebody. So it doesn't take much, but there's been an across the board increase in endotoxemia in modern people because of what we've done to the microbiome. We've, we've dramatically disrupted the composition. We've lost uh, microbes that did important things for us. And we have allowed proliferation of unhealthy microbes to take uh, their place, but also, as you point out, then ascend in many people. In my estimation, one in three people, Alan, over 100 million people. This is bigger than the pre-diabetes type 2 diabetes epidemic. It is a silent but very, very widespread epidemic where microbes have proliferated, then ascended up into the ileum, jejunum, duodenum, and stomach. So you can imagine 30 feet, trillions of microbes living and dying rapidly and their debris entering the bloodstream. So this is now, it's both a cause for numerous health conditions, as well as a fact that makes many conditions worse. And as you point out, it's something just not being addressed by the great majority of mainstream physicians. And, you know, as, as I thought about this, you know, we've talked about antibiotics before I'm on the show quite a bit, you know, it used to be, You'd go to the doctor, you know, you'd have the sniffles and the doctor would say, well, here, you know, even though I know it's probably a virus, you're going to, you're not going to be happy unless I give you something. So here's a prescription for an antibiotic. And that sort of became the norm for a while, but that is sort of like dropping a nuclear bomb on the village, isn't it? Absolutely. Most of us by age 40 have taken 30 courses of antibiotics. And yeah, you don't really recover from an antibiotic. Many people do not recover uh, a normal microbiome. You're left with, because if you kill something, it doesn't just reappear. You know, people used to think that rats came from a pile of rags, right? Well, it's not true. You have to have rats to make rats. And so if you lose important microbial species, you've lost them probably for life, or at least for a long time. Yeah, and I guess we know, uh, you know, we still have some uh, individuals out there, tribes and whatnot, uh, peoples that still live basic lifestyles very similar to we to what we did when we were hunter gatherers because they're hunter gatherers uh, and they're not taking the antibiotics and they're not you know eating and drinking the diet sodas and the eating of the this and the that how different is their microbiome to ours it's fascinating this is uh, several research groups have done this work and i give them a lot of credit because this is not an easy <laughs> thing to do to get the stool specimens from people living hunter-gatherer lives. And you can imagine what an odd request that must seem to them. But the stools have been analyzed from the Yanomami in the Brazilian rainforest, the Matzas in the highlands of Peru, the Hadza in the uh, savannah of Tanzania, the Maasai in Kenya, the Malawi in the east coast of Africa. So primitive groups that, as you point out, are hunter-gatherers, don't eat modern food, don't take antibiotics, and don't have exposure to such things as emulsifying agents in uh, ice cream. So, so they have a very different microbiome. They have microbes we don't have. We have microbes they don't have. There's very little overlap uh, compared to modern people. But the interesting thing is if you compare the microbiome composition of all those primitive or indigenous populations, even though many of them are on different continents, have never met each other, <laughs> they have very similar uh, microbiomes, which has been interpreted by these groups to mean that they must have the microbiome handed down from uh, through the generations, so-called Stone Age microbiome. And it is very 
different. What's not clear is how much do we mimic? Should we try to mimic? Do we need more Prevotella like, like they have? They have a species called Prevotella. They have something called spirochetes. They're loaded with spirochetes. The only spirochete that modern people have is the one that causes syphilis. So <laughs> there's probably, and we have to remind ourselves also, these, these people who have a different microbiome also have no constipation, no hemorrhoids, no colon cancer, no ulcerative colitis, no Crohn's disease, no irritable bowel syndrome, virtually unknown to have autoimmune conditions, no coronary disease. In other words, they have a very, they have other problems, right? They've got infections and injury and uh, worm infestations <laughs> because of their lifestyle, but they don't have the so-called, this is, I always find this amazing. The anthropologists actually label the diseases we suffer from like type two diabetes, hypertension, coronary disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, et cetera. They call this diseases of civilization. Well, you know, there's gotta be some important lessons if these indigenous people have virtually none of our diseases, they have different diseases. We, I, you know, those diseases that they suffer from like malaria or dengue fever, uh, we're pretty good at dealing with that. The modern healthcare system is pretty good at dealing with that, but modern healthcare stinks for taking care because for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is they're very profitable because they're chronic treatments. If you have pneumonia and you need antibiotics for a couple of weeks, that's a two-week profit opportunity. If you have high blood pressure, that's a lifelong profit opportunity. That's why there's so much focus on the diseases of civilization. Well, and they, they just get bigger and bigger every year. I mean, you know, uh, I, I see the the reports, you know, the percentage of people that are obese or overweight, it goes up every year. It doesn't go down despite people knowing that, you know, eating whole food and not, you know, overindulging in ice cream and, and those kind of things uh, is going to be better for you. Uh, it just, it's just a really a struggle living in a modern environment and not having some of those problems. And, mm -hmm. you know, you talked a lot in the book and, and I, I, want to just mention it is that we start building our our microbiota through being born you know coming through the cervix and being born and then later with breast milk and all of those types of things and a lot of that has stopped happening and because we're over 40 it's not like we can go back and re-decide how we were going to be born and, and bred uh we are who we are now you have a force four-week super gut program and it's very broad. I mean, it goes through a lot of different things that you have to think about with regards to managing your, what you eat, how you live, what you do. It's not, it's not the shortcut of we think, well, can't we just get a fecal transplant? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a, that's a thing. Can you kind of go through the steps of your four week super gut program and why each one of those steps is important? You know, I think so people don't get overwhelmed with this. I think of Cultivating your microbiome is just like having a garden in springtime in your backyard. So if you have a garden, let's say you lay out a 10 by 10 plot, you've got to prepare the soil. You're going to pick out the rocks and stones and debris, and then you plant seeds. And then through the growing season, you water and fertilize it. The, the intestinal microbiome is very, very similar. So we uh, um, clear the soil, prepare the soil by not getting exposed to things that disrupt your microbiome. There's a list, as you know, such things as minimizing antibiotics. Take you know, There's a time and place for antibiotics, but as you point out, not just the just-in-case kind of usage, 
other drugs, statin, cholesterol drugs, those horrible <laughs> class of drug that, that makes a lot of money for big farms, does almost nothing for the public health. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, naproxen, diclofenac, massive disruption of the microbiome. Emulsifying agents in common foods like salad dressing and ice cream, synthetic sweeteners in diet sodas like aspartame. So we kind of clean up our, our garden by avoiding those kinds of things. This is a long list in the book, of course. It's, it's not unmanageable. You know, one of the things we all do is we go back to real food. We don't buy the crap that's got, you know, 35 ingredients that are, are unpronounceable. We, we buy avocados and eggs and a pork chop. And then we plant seeds. The seeds come in several forms. The best seeds are fermented foods like kimchi, fermented sauerkraut, fermented veggies, fermented. And you can do this on your kitchen counter. It's virtually no cost. It's delicious. Uh, but people have forgotten that fermented foods are so healthy for you. In fact, they view fermented foods with suspicion or disgust because it may be like a cloudy, soupy mix with your veggies. But once you learn how to do this, it's virtually no cost. It's delicious. And it's one of the most powerful ways to seed your GI tract. And by the way, the seeding process, based on some very interesting research out of Stanford by a husband-wife team, Erica and Justin Sonnenberg, showed that frequent consumption of fermented foods has dramatic changes in, in your microbiome. But oddly, it's not the microbes in the fermented food. It's other microbes. So no one knows why. If you eat a lot of fermented foods, the microbes that take over in your GI tract are not the microbes in the fermented food for the most part. It's other microbes. Where'd they come from? Were they latent in small numbers? Did you acquire them from your environment? Nobody knows, but there's a dramatic shift and increase in healthy microbes with consumption of fermented foods. Probiotics also, but unfortunately, commercial probiotics are really kind of primitive right now. They're getting better and there's a lot of problems with them. There's an emerging short list of uh, probiotics that I would recommend only because they have, not that I have any relationship with them, but they have specific features. Like the strain is specified. You can't take a probiotic unless the strain is specified. To illustrate, you have E. coli. Your listeners have E. coli. I've got E. coli. But what if you ate lettuce contaminated with E. coli from cow manure? You could die of kidney failure and sepsis. So same species, E. coli, different strain. So strains, differences can make a life-death difference. So you must know the strain. And another problem with commercial probiotics is they often don't include what are called keystone species. That is species so much like plankton in the ocean. If plankton disappeared, whales and, and, and uh, jellyfish, so many animals, filter feeders would just die off because plankton are keystone species that little, those little creatures support tons of other creatures. Well, you have the same biological phenomenon in your GI tract. And so when you take a probiotic, you want to make sure there's at least a handful of these so-called keystone species. But so probiotics can be helpful. And lastly, so that's the seeding of your GI tract. Uh, and of course, that's where we also throw in some of our fermentation projects where we make some really cool, uh, like yogurts, particularly it doesn't have to be yogurt, it could be other fermented foods. But like uh, my favorite microbe in the world, lactobacillus rotori, that I think introduces an age reversing effect, including, including ladies go berserk for this, 
uh, they, they lose their skin wrinkles starting within four to eight weeks. And then we water and fertilize our garden. That's the things that microbes like to eat. And these are mostly so-called prebiotic fibers, polysaccharides, polyphenols, a lot of the healthy things in mushrooms and onions and garlic, uh, as well as some commercial preparations. And that causes healthy species to bloom. And so it sounds like a lot, but if you, I try to break it down week by week so that this week we're going to talk about diet and cleaning up your garden. This week we're going to talk about seeding your garden. This week we're going to talk about watering for <laughs> to try to break it down so it's manageable. Yeah. And I think it's really important to think of these in that order because it, it, it's fine if you start throwing the, you know, the food and water in there, but if you don't have the seeds, it might not do you what you want to do. Uh, if you haven't cleaned your garden first, then you, you might be growing the species you don't want to grow or the strains you don't want to grow. And you're not really solving some of the bigger problems. Like, why is this in my uh, little intestine, small intestine anyway? Because it doesn't belong there. And so kind of dealing with some of those things early on. I do want to dive a little bit deeper into your week one, the prepare the garden because or prepare the soil. Because I think for a lot of us, this is really where we're going to see a, a big shift in how we look and feel because if we're doing these things it's like this is a list of try these things and and watch how well you feel watch what happens to your weight watch you know all the little things that you want to use to measure health these are going to move the needle every single one of these will move the needle for you uh, in one way or another Um, i sent you over a, a list of the ones you talked about in the book, could you kind of just go through each one and why is it important for us to either limit that or eat that way? Let me pull up your list. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Here we go. Um, So sugar, sugar is something we absolutely avoid. That is added sugars because sugars cause a bloom in all kinds of nasty species. Uh, People don't know that three days, let's say you go on an all expense paid vacation in Mexico, you know, all inclusive vacation, and you can't resist all the margaritas that you can drink, right? Well, it takes three days of that kind of sugar exposure. You've already got irritable bowel syndrome because what the sugar does is it feeds the microbes. It also feeds fungi. So fungi like the various candida species, candida tropicalis, candida glabrata, candida albicans, malassezia. There's about 200 different fungi that live in the human GI. They love sugar. And oddly, fungal overgrowth also, somehow these microbes, these fungal microbes, release some kind of factor that affects your brain and cause you to crave sweets. So it's an odd, uh, vicious cycle. Fungi produce a metabolite that causes a sweet tooth. You eat sweets, you feed the fungi. So you've served your purpose to the fungal world. So that's sugar. The synthetic sweeteners like aspartame, saccharin, and sucralose, very good evidence that they massively disrupt your microbiome. Even if you're a slender, active, non-diabetic person, by using those synthetic sweeteners, it gives you the microbiome of an obese type 2 diabetic. And that microbiome thereby pushes you towards weight gain, obesity, and being a type 2 diabetic. Ma- major disruption. Now, you <clears throat> recommended other things like stevia and monk fruit and things like that. So if you want to move to a lower calorie or a no calorie, you want to, you want to look at some of the more natural choices, right? Absolutely. So we just have to be a little bit more discerning in our choice of sweeteners. So as you point out, stevia and its various forms, monk fruit, allulose, 
erythritol is pretty safe. And we, we still can make all kinds of great stuff like um, um, cupcakes or cheesecake. We're going to use non-grain flours, by the way, also because of the massive disruption of the GI tract. That's the whole course, the theme of my wheat belly books, as well as the undoctored books. I didn't want to dwell on that too much because it's covered in other books. But as you know, uh, going wheat and grain free is a huge advantage in health, despite the fact that they are the centerpiece of all official government guidelines and diet. (laughs) The worst possible advice possibly conceive of is cut your fat, eat more healthy whole grains. It would be as bad as people saying, Alan, you know, smoking a pack or two of cigarettes is not too Go ahead. It's good for you. No, it's not. Right. So the well, they did. Advice. They did because right. <laughs> for a long time they did. Yep. Uh, and and I think it's probably the same mechanism for why uh, you know grains are such a, a prominent thing in our um, our government's guidelines for food. Um, you know, it's it's a great way to get a lot of calories in, uh, but uh, not necessarily going to help your microbiome. Now, we try to eat organic whenever opportunity and and budget permit. We don't really know how effective that is. You know, we are all filled with herbicides and pesticides. Unfortunately, if we tested all your listeners, for instance, for glyphosate, the herbicide in Roundup, we'll all test positive blood, urine, hair, skin, everything. So it's kind of hard. We can't avoid, unfortunately, we can only minimize. And so choosing organic whenever possible does help. It makes a contribution. We, we filter our drinking water because most cities chlorinate or chloraminate. I'm in Milwaukee where they use chloramine. They're very proud of that because it lingers much longer, so much so that you can't even boil it off. You have to boil it for three to four days before it starts to be reduced. So it's it's very persistent. But these are antimicrobials. They kill stuff. And they also disrupt the mucus barrier and thereby cause shifts in the composition of the microbiome species composition. Uh, of course, avoiding wheat and grains, that alone is a huge uh, advantage in health. That's That was the whole base of the wheat belly books, of course. Uh, people lose weight uh, because you no longer expose the insulin raising effects of the amylopectin A. You're, you rid yourself of the gliadin, gliadin protein derived opioid peptides that are potent appetite stimulants. You get rid of the potent bowel toxic effects of, uh, of uh, wheat germagglutinin, which is completely indigestible, but as it courses from mouth to toilet, is extremely destructive and inflammatory to the human GI tract. <laughs> it's just a short list of the things wrong with wheat and grain. And of course, it's gotten worse because farmers and agribusiness um, scientists have selected strains for their purposes. So not because they're evil, but because they wanted strains that were resistant, for instance, to pests like molds and, and insects. So they selected strains of wheat that were enriched in wheat germagglutin, bowel toxin, and uh, phytates which uh, are great pest-resistant compounds, but they're also binders of magnesium, calcium, zinc, and iron. And you poop out those minerals in the toilet. And that's why, for instance, iron deficiency anemia is very common among people who eat grains. And then we limit alcohol because alcohol likes to entice fungi to proliferate. Doesn't mean you can't have a glass of wine, just means don't overdo it. And then um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. These are dispensed like candy, of course, even over the counter. So a woman might take, for instance, Motrin for menstrual cramps, or somebody might take um, naproxen for knee pain. Well, those 
for one thing, Alan, I can't tell you how many times I put patients on dialysis for kidney failure from those drugs, how many times I've had red blood thrown up in my face because they had a bleeding ulcer, how many times people passed black partially digested blood in their stool from bleeding intestinal ulcers. These are nasty drugs, even though they uh, can be over the counter, but they also disrupt the microbiome. And so there are other ways to deal with pain that don't disrupt the microbiome. That's a whole other conversation, of course, but you can do without them very easily. And of course, antibiotics. You know, if you're sick and you can't breathe and you have pneumococcal pneumonia, you need an antibiotic. But if you, as you, as you point out, if you just got a cough and a viral uh, tracheobronchitis, you don't need an antibiotic. So you want to really question any physician who tries to prescribe an antibiotic uh, when it's not really clear whether you have a, a bacterial infection or not. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if you go, you do a great job in the book of simplifying this each day, be thinking about something that you're going to, to in, incorporate and use. And, but really in, in the simplest sense, and you say it in the book is eat real food, single ingredients and uh, avoid things that, you know, are not going to be serving you like alcohol, the medications, the antibiotics, those types of things, uh, because you need that microbiome to be healthy so you can be healthy. And it, if you start getting to the point where, as we call it, leaky gut is happening, uh, it's because the mucous membrane's not intact. It's because other things are going on. And now you're introducing toxins into your body that are going to wreak havoc across your whole health, not just uh, your gut. So you might feel fine and not have uh, any kind of bowel symptoms, but, but still it's your gut. That's, that's the cause. Absolutely. You know, it's funny if, if anyone ever has a few free minutes, take a look at all the studies, for instance, in irritable bowel syndrome, and you'll see, they ask questions like this. What proportion of people with this very common condition shared by 60 to 70 million Americans called irritable bowel syndrome, where you have usually diarrhea and cramps and bloating. Well, if you look at those studies, you'll see that people with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, typically 40 to 84%, it varies with each study, how they chose their participants to have SIBO. But then look at the healthy control group. You'll be shocked at how many of the healthy control group. It's not uncommon to have 24% of the healthy controlled people also test positive for SIBO, for, for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So it's, it's, it's everywhere. And I, I show people how I came to that figure. I arrived at that figure of over 100 million people in the U.S. with SIBO. And of course, similar situations outside the U.S. too. Yeah. Well, if you're eating sugar or the non-caloric artificial sweeteners and emulsifying agents in your, like you said, in, uh, in your ice cream and drinking your local water. Um, yeah, uh, you probably have done some damage down there and it's worth doing some things to make that, uh, that environment a lot more hospitable to the, the good bugs we want in our gut. Dr. Davis, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Well, you know, I saved the best for last in the book because, as you point out, if you do things out of order, bad things can happen. So if you say, I'm going to start with the prebiotic fibers because it's too much, the probiotics are too expensive, or I don't want to deal with the SIBO, you can actually make yourself ill if you do it out of order. 
so I, I present it in a very specific order for your safety and for greater effectiveness. But I save the very best for the last, and that is pinpointing microbes that most of us have lost. And my favorite, as I mentioned, is lactobacillus ruteri. 96% of people have lost it due to all those factors we talked about. When you reimplant it, now we do it with yogurt, fermented in a very specific way. Please, please I hope, don't let your leaders get confused. This has nothing to do with store-bought yogurt. Store-bought yogurt's garbage. It has not, almost nothing in it. Because when you ferment yogurt or any other food, bacteria don't have sexual reproduction, of course. They have what's called asexual reproduction. They don't have mommy and daddy microbes. They just double. One becomes two, two becomes four, like that. Well, if let's say rotorite doubles every three hours, if you so in commercial yogurt for fermentation, they ferment for four hours. Nothing happens. That's why you see ingredients like gel and gum, xanthan gum, guar gum added to thicken it up because there ain't nothing in it. <laughs> so we're going to ferment for 36 hours. We allow the bacteria to double 12 times. It's just like that kid's riddle. Which would you rather have? A million dollars? or a penny that doubles every day for 30 days. Kids always say, I want the million dollars, <laughs> not knowing that the penny will become over five and a half million dollars by day 30. But if you look at the curve, the money doesn't really start to increase. You know, one cent, two cents, four cents, right? Going nowhere. But it's our, I'm sorry, it's day 26, 27, where you start to get those really big millions of, same thing happens in bacterial reproduction. If a microbe doubles every three hours, it's not about hour 33 where you start to get really big numbers. So 36, we performed a, a test called flow cytometry on our yogurts. We're getting around 260 billion counts of microbes per half cup serving. So people eat this half cup or so of the Rotorai yogurt. It's, it's rich and it's very tasty. And skin starts to lose its wrinkles. There's a thickening of, of, derma, of the dermis, dermal collagen. There's an acceleration of healing. There's a restoration of youthful muscle and strength. There's a preservation of bone density. It's one of the most important things ladies can do, preserve bone health and prevent osteoporotic fractures. It deepens sleep. I'm a chronic insomniac, Alan. I used to sleep three, four hours a night. I have to force myself. I now sleep nine hours a night straight through deep, vivid dreams. Um, it suppresses appetite, puts you in absolute control over appetite and impulse. And because it works, this microbe, Rotori, by stimulating oxytocin release from the brain, uh, it stimulates empathy, a desire to understand other people's points of view, desire for human connection, and a reduction in social anxiety, of course, occurring even pre-pandemic, at a time of record social isolation, divorce, and suicide. Now, that, Alan, that's one microbe. So that one microbe makes a delicious yogurt, and it has this. And that's, so we do this with other microbes. So we purposefully re-implant specific microbes, like Lactobacillus rotori, like Bifidobacter infantis, like Bacillus. This sounds like a lot. It's actually a heck of a lot of fun, and you can get what are it's it's amazing what microbes how they influence our behavior our internal dialogues our skin not just whether you have gas or bloating uh, whether you're going to have parkinson's disease 
or multiple sclerosis, or whether you can't lose weight and we're going to become obese, microbes are the answer. So to answer your question, three things. So one would be, be aware that you can reimplant lost microbes. We don't know all the microbes, uh, but that list is growing virtually every day, by the way, Alan. Uh, two, uh, though it's not directly um, uh, influential on the micro- microbiome, that dietary change of banishing all wheat and grains, particularly modern wheat and grains that have all kinds of problems, the enrichment in wheat germaglutinin and phytates, they're glyphosate laced. Um, so getting rid of grains and, you know, vitamin D, you know, I, I, I advocate uh, that people take certain nutrients because they're lacking in modern life. So like, for instance, magnesium, we take magnesium because we all drink filtered water. We have to, we, if we drink from a river or a stream, it's got sewage, it's got farm runoff. And so we have to filter our water, but water filtration is very effective at removing all magnesium. And when you become magnesium deficient, as all modern people are, unless they're supplementing, it leads to higher blood pressure, muscle cramps, higher blood sugar, heart rhythm disorders, uh, osteoporosis, et cetera. So we have to replace magnesium. And so it's not because I want you to take a whole bunch. Of, it's because modern life has caused it. But I didn't realize that whole list of nutrients we advocate, vitamin D, magnesium, omega-3 fatty acids, and iodine all also have very important microbiome implications. For instance, omega-3 fatty acids, fish oil, activates a very important enzyme that lines your intestinal wall called intestinal alkaline phosphatase. And that enzyme helps deactivate that endotoxin we talked about that comes from unhealthy microbes. So uh, I'm not sure I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did. You did. And, and you know, this sounds like a lot. It, it is, but he really outlines this really well in the book. He has the recipes for the yogurts and the kefirs and all the things he's been talking about. Uh, so he makes it very easy for you to start this protocol, to go through it and understand and know what's happening and why maybe you feel a certain way at a certain part of the program. So it's really well put together there. So Dr. Davis, if someone wanted to learn more about you, learn more about your book, Supergut or Undoctored or any of the Wheat Belly books, because there's a few of them in the series, where would you like for me to send them? You know, I made the mistake, Alan, every time a book came out, I'd have a like a Wheat Belly Facebook page, Wheat Belly blog, Wheat Belly. I finally consolidated everything. It's going to launch in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I should say it's going to launch in December so that people listening to your podcast can see it when you scared. That that new site is called drdavisinfinitehealth.com. That will kind of incorporate everything, including the, a, a new blog. Uh, we'll bring all that content. There's 2000 articles on the blog. So a lot of stuff in there. I also have a membership website where we actually do this, like uh, you and me talking via zoom. I do that every Wednesday night, usually with about 70 to hundred people. And we talk about these, these microbiome issues, other health issues, two-way interaction, and people get a lot of handholding. So that's all going to be Dr. Davis, infinite health. Okay. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 524, and I'll be sure to have the links there. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you, Alan. My pleasure. Welcome back, Raz. 
Hey, Alan, you know, this, it was nice to hear from Dr. Davis again. I know he was on your podcast before, so it was good to have him speak again on another topic about the, the super gut, but um, there's a lot to talk about here, but, you know, for starters, I think a lot of us know that antibiotics can destroy our, our gut and they're still very heavily prescribed. And sometimes you have to take a course of antibiotics to, you know, heal from a cold or illness of some sort. But, um, but I guess I didn't realize that there are other things that can destroy our gut, meaning alcohol and other drugs like statins he had mentioned and, and other things. So it was a really eye-opening discussion on that. Yeah, there's there's really only one thing to feed your gut, and that's whole food. Uh, any, any, <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty much, pretty much anything else that you put into your mouth um, isn't food, mm-hmm. and as a result, there there has to be a downstream effect. It's sort of like you have a river, and you're like, okay, I can I can throw live fish in the river, and that's that's cool. You know, I can overstock it, but but generally, I could stock a a, a river just you know by adding new fish and not just, mm-hmm. you know, few species that will eat each other, but just the fish, you know, and you can kind of stock something like stock a pond or stock a river. But then you start saying, well, no, I'm now, now I'm going to go in there and I'm going to throw Coke cans and bottles and I'm going to throw this other stuff in there. And now you're polluting the water. Mm-hmm. And we have to think about our internals the, and the gut from all the way from the mouth to the butt as our river it's our health river it's our second Mm -hmm. immune system or our main immune system if you will it's a second brain and so every time you throw crap in there Mm -hmm. you're harming yourself and there's no other way around it you know yeah people say garbage in garbage out and i'm like no it doesn't come out it (laughs) it it just stays in there you know Uh, you're you're poisoning yourself and sometimes like you said with a with an antibiotic it makes sense that you've got a you've got a bug that you have to kill um there are some bad ones out there that can kill you if you don't do the right things and take the, the right things get through the whole course and hopefully that course does what it's supposed to do as soon as you finish that though it's time to start restocking the river. You know, it's time to go in there and say, what are the things I need to do? I clean up the water. I need to make sure there's food for the fish that I'm going to put in there. I mean, I put the good fish in. And so it's kind of that, his process of walking you through the planting of the garden, sowing and and feeding and nurturing, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, planting and doing those things in a way that builds a good gut flora. And you know, he does sell uh, kits or, you know, all the process for how you can make your own yogurts and kind of really get geeky on the, okay, exactly what do I want to put in here? Um, Maybe not completely necessary, but when you're thinking about, if you're really struggling, if you've got, you know, IBS and you're struggling and you're, you take an antibiotic course and things just go south with all of that stuff. Now, granted, whatever you took the antibiotics for is okay. The infection's mm-hmm. gone now, but now you've got to do something and it's, you might have to go through and really be meticulous about how you're repopulating. And most of the things I've read up until this book were really just, yeah, just eat some yogurt and some kefir and, and go on with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he's saying is you might want to be a little bit more diligent and a little bit yeah. more uh, direct and a little bit more specific for how you do these things. Um, because, you know, one of the things that we have to think about is now we're, we're well into second, third generation of antibiotics. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Penicillin was invented in uh, 1928. 
And so we're, you know, fairly long in, in how now we've been using antibiotics to kill off species in our gut. Um, and then, so there's probably species in our gut that no longer exist. Mm. Yeah. It's sad to think that. And so, you know, the best you can do is the best you can do. It's like an overused knee. If you know, if you were really bad on your knees when you were younger and now your knees are hurting you, um, there might be some limits to how much you can repair the damage that was done, but there are things you can do. And I think that's what this book is really about with regards to the gut is to mm-hmm. really take a methodical approach. He has a very good approach there. Uh, he uses, you know, like I said, you know, when you're talking about bacteria, the names get long and I'm not, <laughs> I don't even try to say them out loud. Um, but you know, he, he walks you through to say, these are the, these are the strains of what you want to start with. This is how you want to make mm-hmm. sure they have the food they need. But again, whole food, you know, and, you know, it's, yeah. most of it is going to be build the good gut with whole food. Mm-hmm. And, and then you start worrying about adding the plants, adding the, yeah. you know, the, the flora. Sure. He mentioned kombucha and other um, sauerkraut and some other fermented foods, and then paying close attention to the type of probiotics that you might find at the store to make sure that they had some sort of account or type of the um, bacteria that are in those uh, prebiotics. And just to pay attention, you mentioned taking uh, onions, garlic, and mushrooms or other good uh, fibers that the gut bacteria likes to eat. So just like you said, whole, whole normal yeah. foods. That's yeah. super. Now, one of the big things we'll say helpful. is, yeah, with yogurt and things like that is the, the, the vast majority of them are not going to have enough. You know, they, yeah, they, I had no all they idea. have to, all they have to do is say <laughs> there's some in it and then that's, they, they get to sell it as what mm-hmm. it is. Um, you know, he's talking about taking that same yogurt you buy in the store and adding this bacteria mm-hmm. and letting it sit for longer than they would. They're going for a few hours. You would go particularly maybe for a day or so, two days, three days, maybe, and let the bacteria multiply, multiply, multiply. Then you're really adding an opportunity. And, you know, the other side of it is I have to believe that your stomach acid is probably going to kill a lot of these things going Mm -hmm. through you. So just recognize when you're talking in terms of billions, this is like (laughs) baby turtles, you know, only a small percentage of them are probably going to make it through. Sure. But that's, that's an approach. And you know, it's not that you have to go do a fecal transplant or anything crazy like that, but just mm-hmm. recognizing that what you feed grows. And mm-hmm. if you're feeding the bad bacteria with sugar and processed foods and bad attitudes, um, yeah. then, <laughs> yep. you know, then, then they're going to be the ones that live. And then they're going to be the ones that propagate and they're going to be the ones that move up into your small intestine and cause SIBO and irritable bowel syndrome and all of those problems. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those are, whether we want to admit it or not, predominantly self-inflicted based on our lifestyle and what we're eating. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe, yeah, we got sick and we took some antibiotics and set ourselves up for that. But in a general sense, we can beat that back down if we're methodical about what we're doing. Yeah. This sounds like a really helpful book to have handy in case these types of things are happening to you right now. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Take care. You too. Thanks. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Ellen Albertson and discuss her book, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter.
Until then, have a happy and healthy week.